let's go to Ephesians. Amen. Amen. Where did we leave off last time? Verse 2? I think we're in 5. <laughs> we're in chapter 5. Let's start with verse 6, okay? What's some of the major points about the church at Ephesus? Number one, it uh, this letter Paul wrote for the church at Ephesus to the church, but also he intended for it to be read in other places. Ephesus was a strong church, but there were a lot of new people in the church, and that's why there's a lot of uh, basic instructions. The first three chapters are, uh, deal with what he did for us, and the last three deal with what our response should be because of what he's done for us. And we talked about the unity in the spirit. Everybody remember those things? The seven points that we can all agree on. One body, one spirit, one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all. The importance of that is because there's a lot in Christianity that we can disagree on. Not everybody's Pentecostal, not everybody's Baptist, not everybody's Catholic. There's, Lord, if we added up all the different kinds of faith in Christendom, we'd get a lot of different opinions and a lot of different slants on things. But we need to concentrate more on the common thread that we have. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's one Lord, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. And so we don't need to pick... Paul, uh, in the Corinthian letter, was responding to uh, uh, people pairing off and going into different groups. He says, I didn't baptize anybody. I never baptized anybody. One says I'm of Apollos. One says I'm of this doctrine and that doctrine. Uh, Paul had disagreements with uh, other of the disciples, but they did, they did agree on the main points of the faith, which is one Lord, one baptism, one blessed hope. So, and knowing that, uh, one, one thing that the Lord's been impressing on me is to treat these letters to the churches uh, as being spoken to new Christians. Yes, there was a church there, and there was a lot of idol worship and everything else, but we, we look at a 2,000-year-old book that Paul wrote, or epistle that he wrote, not realizing sometimes, or not understanding, that when this was originally written, the church was basically new. And so people had to learn how to behave, because they didn't... I mean, some of them came from... Well, whoremongers, unclean people, covetous, they had to be taught how not to be that. And so that's what's important about this book. And Paul takes them from the things that that they were involved in into a better life. And we're going to see that now in verse 6. If you have any questions, you can raise your hand. Let no man deceive you with vain words. I'm in the King James. Am I in the way here? Everybody got a Bible? Yeah, chapter 5, actually. Let me see if I can get out of the way here a little bit. Chapter 5, verse 6. Wow, that's pretty cool. Verse 6 now, if we could get there. One more. All right. It says, let no man, I'm in the King James, I've also got the New Living up here, if we have trouble understanding a part of it. Now remember, he's, he's given them basic indoctrination on how believers should behave. And he talks about not doing this and not doing that. And in verse 6, it says, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Uh in Ephesus, there wasn't a lack of knowledge. In Rome, there wasn't a lack of knowledge. In the book of Acts, there wasn't a lack of knowledge because there was the Greeks were famous for their debating. Uh, they would stand and debate for hours. And Paul would even mention in a couple of the letters how, you know, how wise they were in the ways of the world. But... Um, 
A lack of knowledge was not the problem. A lack of right knowledge Come was on, the right. problem. That's, that, that's the lack. And we suffer that still today, a lack of, of right knowledge. Uh, we live in a church age where things have been pretty much explained, evangelized, and everything else. But we have to plug it into the right knowledge and not the wrong knowledge. So the Greeks spent all their time debating. Uh, a lot of our uh, civilization comes from Greek influence. And um, we got a real, you know, our, our Capitol building, different porticos and things that are built are Greek construction. That's how much influence that they had. But they didn't understand how to behave as Christians. And he's telling them that don't be deceived by vain words because there was plenty of knowledge. Just got to be the right knowledge, okay? It says, be ye not, verse 7, be ye not, be not ye, therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now you are in the light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. How many of you are walking in the, the light right now? Praise God. Thank God for that. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's the fruit of the Spirit, goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, we need to, he's telling the church and us too still today, prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. What's Romans chapter 12 say? Verse 1 and 2. Be transformed by the word of mind. You guys prove what is the acceptable. Say it louder. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the acceptable. Good, acceptable. Good, acceptable, perfect, perfect. will of God. Okay. He says here, prove what is acceptable. Well, Romans says, what is acceptable to God? That's the the kind of knowledge that we need to have and the wisdom that we need to have. What's acceptable to God? Uh, Verse 11, And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Uh, Sometimes correction is needed in churches. We're to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but how do you... There's a way to correct and a way not to correct. So we'll just keep that in mind. Why? It says we have in verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of the things which are done to them in secret. We've uh, in the news lately, there's been different uh, high level people that were involved in different things for years and years and years. And nobody ever knew about it. And boy, it's uh, it's getting ugly out there a little bit right now. It, they're, they're works of darkness. Amen. They're works of darkness is what they are. And it's a shame to even speak of what they do. Um, but all things, verse 13, are repro- that are reproved are made manifested by the light. That's why the preaching of the gospel is so important, because the light manifests the darkness. Amen. What does what, uh, John say? The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not but that doesn't make the light go away the light's still there Amen. one of my, my favorite well I got a lot of favorite scriptures but James 1 17 every good and perfect gift who else knows it comes down from the father of of what with whom there is no variableness nor Shadow of turning. That means he is constant light. God is light. And constant light and understanding and the right kind of wisdom is available to us through the light that he brings. He's the light of the world. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, who are his representatives in the world today? The church. Because there's evil everywhere, just like there was in those days. I mean, the good things about Greek culture, on the other hand, Greek culture and Roman culture was very corrupt. As a matter of fact, if you trace history, you'll see great nations get involved in the same darkness, which turns them into not so great nations, which ruins their influence around the world. Because, for instance, we've got Jeremy and Catherine here. 
How many of you know how many great revivalists and preachers and uh, cultural icons came from the UK? Yeah, it's amazing. Name me some preachers that came from the... Wigglesworth, who else? Wesley. Wesley. Anybody else know anybody? Whitfield. Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill. Billy Graham. We we adopted him. (laughs) Spurgeon, right? Spurgeon. Uh, Who else? Yeah. I mean... When you travel, like we did with Jeremy and Catherine when we were over there, and Lee and Rosalie were with us too. Who else went with us that time? Okay. But when you travel over there, they can point out to you places where John Wesley preached off of a second floor balcony and things like that. England's influence. Well, Pakistan. Pakistan and India were possessions or territories of the U.K., and they got their independence in the 40s and 50s, correct, Paulus? 40s. 40s? 47. Okay, and they speak English. And that shows you the blessing that was on the UK because they were people that spread the gospel all over the world. Amen. And there was a, a saying that the sun never sets on the British Empire. Hong Kong, I mean, we can name all these different places. And I think the motivating factor behind it was not that the British or the people in the UK were any smarter or any better, but they held the word of God in high esteem for quite a while. Amen. And that makes a big difference in the history of the world because every country that knew the esteem that the Lord was due, once they turned their back on that, their influence goes down. And I think in a way, the same thing's happening here in our country. Amen. If you study history, it, the same pattern is followed all the time. When you turn your back on God, you're in for some rough times. Amen. So we are the light of the world now with the Holy Spirit as our guide. And he's uh, in John chapter 16. He said the Holy Spirit will show you all things. OK, so everything's made manifest by the light for whatsoever does make us make manifest is light. And verse 14 is a quote of Isaiah 60, verse 1. says, Wherefore, he says, Awake you that sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly or cautiously, not as fools, but as wise. Who was it that said that every journey begins with one step? (laughs) Redeeming the time, verse 16, because the days are evil. Has anything changed there? You know, the same things that were considered abominations back then are still considered abominations now. Sacrifice of babies, basically genocide. Uh, Every culture... Uh, even the Aztecs, which we have a great knowledge of because we lived in Mexico all those years, they had a wonderful civilization, but they were into human sacrifices and worshiping false gods. And so when the Spaniards came, who were Catholics, and conquered, uh, they thought that the Spaniards were gods because there was a, uh, a, uh, a story in Aztec, uh, what do you call that, Aztec history, that said that a savior would come in a boat from the east on the river. And so that was Cortez. And Cortez came, and he only had a couple hundred men, and they had over 100,000 people in uh, uh, Tenochtitlan, I believe is the name of the place. And they conquered that city, and they thought Cortez, because he was not a dark-complected Spaniard. He was uh, fair-skinned. They thought he was the promised Messiah. And they let him into the city. So no matter what you worship, it just shows that that people will always worship something. That's why we need to point them toward the gospel, that the one true God will be worshipped. Because they mistook Cortez 
Do you know that there was very little disease in the New World? In Amen. Very little disease. Smallpox, things like that, all came from Europe. And a lot of the people in uh, Tinoc Totland were infected with European diseases that, that came to their downfall. Now, of course, human sacrifice is not the right thing to do. But even today, there's human sacrifice and genocide that goes on all over the world. Even in this country. Yeah. Well, the murder by abortion of babies is genocide. It's Baal worship. Well, Molech, Baal. We stood in the, in, uh, the Hinnon Valley over there when we were in Israel, and that's where all the sacrifices used, used to take place. That's where Gehenna was. So I got to get going here. Okay, redeem the time because it's evil. Verse 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now this is corporate and it's individual. God speaks to the individuals and the more we follow the word of the Lord or the will of the Lord, then the corporate becomes stronger. Okay, now we'll get into some interesting stuff. <laughs> it's all interesting. Verse 18. Be ye not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody okay with that? Okay. Before we came to a knowledge of Christ, darkness and light, we came into the light, and darkness ruled, and, and a lot of the ways that it ruled was in strong drink. Because uh, in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, it warns us against the use of strong drink, what that'll make you into. So uh, now some people want to debate this scripture and pick it apart uh, because they go to Timothy where he told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. But that wine there was uh, the literal interpretation of the word in Greek is medicine. That was considered to be medicine. That wine that they drank was medicine. Uh, so Paul tells them, don't be drunk with wine wherein is what? Excess. Okay? Jesus drank wine because the Pharisees accused him of being a wine-bibber, a friend of uh, harlots and prostitutes and, and things like that. But Jesus said he... Uh, he warned them against overindulging. Okay? And here's, here's the trade-off. Uh, he says in verse 19, instead of being drunk with wine, we're to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns. How many of you make a practice of talking to yourselves? <laughs> I mean in the right way. How many of you talk to yourself? You know, there's times I get in the car and I just need a good talking to. <laughs> Anybody with me on that one? You know, in the stores back in 20 years ago, before we had cell phones and everything, if you went down the aisle and somebody was talking, you thought, well, what's that guy talking to himself for? Because now they got them earbuds and everything. And, and uh, But there's times where we just need to rally our own troops, isn't there? Everybody know what I'm talking about there? You just need to encourage. It said David, when David was being pursued and hunted and hounded and sleeping in caves and running through the desert, not getting enough to eat and all those things, he said he encouraged himself in the Lord. And he didn't have a whole lot of people around to encourage him. But it said he encouraged himself. Sometimes it's hard to encourage yourself. That's why you need church. You need other Christians around you. You need friends that you can depend on that are going to give you an encouraging word when you've encouraged yourself as far as you can. But I do that all the time. I try to encourage myself. And if I don't encourage myself, then Darlene encourages me. She's a good encourager. She's a heck of a woman. Well, it's hard to say anything negative around her. Am I right? She always looks at everything absolutely positive, no matter what she's going through. Amen. And as I shared before, the boys call her Miss Positive Pants because she will not allow a discussion in our house that turns negative. 
She always says, I'm not receiving that. I'm not, I'm not coming into agreement with that. So thank God I've got uh, this year coming up 50 years of marriage to an encourager. Because there's many times that I needed encouragement. Anybody need encouragement in here? Thank God that he put me with an encourager. I encourage her sometimes. I just find that this is interesting, too, because he said be filled with the Spirit after you just got done talking about the wine, because you know on the day of Pentecost when they got filled with the Spirit, they were accused of being drunk. Drunk, yeah. (laughs) That's kind of just, you know, how how it is here in Ephesians after they did it in Acts after when the Holy Spirit and they were accused of being drunk. Right. So, you know, I, you know, and that's what people accuse us of, of being drunk in the Holy Spirit, which, you know, when you get, you know, Crazy. I guess we do kind of act, you know, by being slain in the Spirit, or you can't get up off of the floor. <laughs> well, I got a question. I like what he said, where he said, these are not drunk as yeah. you suppose. As you suppose. But they are drunk, but not as you suppose. But we're drunk, but not as you suppose. Not as you suppose. We're drunk. Right. We're drunk. Let we're me ask a question. Right. Let me ask a question. How many of you, the first time you ever got drunk was in the spirit? You guys? Yeah. Carolyn? Yeah. First time you ever got drunk? Rose? First time you ever got drunk was in the spirit? Yeah. That's amazing. Good. Well, I can't. I don't have that testimony. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but the Holy Spirit, if we drink of the Spirit, is much more. Oh, yeah. uh, so we're to speak to ourselves. It says, speak to yourselves, corporately and individually, in Psalms. You think that they knew what the Psalms said? We just quoted Isaiah 60, verse 1. They knew all about the, the Psalms are songs. Speak to yourselves in Psalms and hymns and, you know, uh, this could get really funny at times, but how many of you remember Hee Haw? Remember that song they used to sing on Hee Haw? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on. Now, now, that seems like a perfectly innocent song, doesn't it? But you can speak life to yourself. You can speak life to yourself. Instead of gloom, despair, and agony, you can say, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son are on me. And sometimes, you know, we we need to be careful of, because you can put a, the Bible says that a curse will not alight without a cause. Sometimes our words injure, injure us as much as it do the person that is injured. So that's why he said, listen, don't be drunk with wine. Uh, uh, everybody knew about wine back in those times. And so, you know, as Jeremy said, they're not drunk as you suppose. I think alcoholism was a big problem back then, just like it is now. But... What's that? I said there wasn't a lot of good water around. Like no, that's true. Yeah, Rickster. I just like to point out that at the end of Matthew, Jesus had pointed out that he had said, I will not touch the fruit of the vine until I can come back and have it with the wall. So when people use the excuse that Jesus drinks wine, it's got to point out the fact that he's not drinking wine until he comes back. Right. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. So the alternative is to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Very important that we learn submission one to the other. Verse 22, wives. (laughs) 
We're going to just read this as as it's on the page, okay? If you have any questions, I don't profess to be the guy, the first guy in 2,000 years that figured this out, okay? But let's read it for face value what the scripture says. Amen. All right. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Everybody okay with that? Okay. What's next? What's that? What's next? For the husband is the head of the wife. Okay? No problem. Even as Christ is head of the church. Amen. Okay? Now, you got to keep the whole seven, eight verses here in context. Because once you get it out of context is when you get into problems. As Christ is head of the church. This is Christian Life Center, Assembly of God. But Christ is the head of the church. Amen. It's not the pastor. It's not the board. It's not Christ has to be the head of the church. Because if he's not the head of the church, then you're worshiping idols and you're committing idolatry. Okay. Um, So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. I think the men really have to learn from this here because Over the years in ministry, I've heard this so many times, husbands complaining about their wives not submitting to them. (laughs) Well, the problem is, is they're not submitting to the head. You can't see God's kingdom is is a hierarchy. He's on the top. Everything flows out of that. Okay. And these words were not written to put women down in any way because the minute he makes a statement about how a woman should behave, he says, man, this is how you should behave. Amen. Okay, everybody with me so far? All right, you can disagree if you want, but I won't disagree back. No, I'm just kidding. He's the savior of the body. Men need to take care of their families. I get an amen on that one. Amen. Yep, they do. This was a problem in those times. People that didn't want to work. What's the Bible say? If you don't work, you don't what? Don't eat. I know a ministry that I think is uh, that I've been associated with with from time to time, and what they do is uh, they'll take people in. They'll give them thirty days to find a job. And uh, they'll, they'll give them the right kind of atmosphere so they can be empowered to learn these things. And they'll give them a job. But after 30 days, if they, if they don't have a job or they're not making progress, they ask them to leave. Because a lot of the, so the helpful programs don't give you the impetus to go out and do things. I was so proud of Shane on Sunday when he got up and, uh, yeah. or at the men's breakfast. It was amazing what he had to say. It was a great blessing. He's doing something with what God caused to happen in his life. Yes? I'll make it brief. And then she's going to start with hearing me. Um, I hope I can ask this right. In the submission, the Christ part, it is set. Right. We know there's going to be no error. But if the husband is not perhaps where he should be in addressing a situation with his wife or vice versa... How does that fall under correction between the Godhead? Maybe you've got a husband that the wife is to be submissive or subjected to, but the husband may not be walking where he needs to be. That's usually the case. Or or given that it may be the same way. Yeah, very seldom is it in reverse, where where the woman's doing everything right and the man, you know. That's why... Paul points out here that the man should be the head of the house. The scripture also says, and it says here in Ephesians, that they can be uh, washed in the water of the word. And Paul encourages women not to give up, but he doesn't encourage them to stay in an abusive situation. Amen. You remove yourself from an abusive situation. Okay? Uh, scripture also says 
that the wife is to hang in her as long as she can, that her husband might be one one over. I mean, uh, let me just put it in this context. This has happened a lot that I've seen over the years. A, a woman will get saved and come to the knowledge of the Lord, and they're full of the Holy Ghost. They get saved, baptized, full of the Holy Ghost, and they're on fire. And they come home, and the husband's like, what? You know, because their lifestyle hasn't been like that. So that's why it says that you have to just kind of be patient and win that husband. by the, Now, do you reach a cutoff point? The cutoff for me is when they break the first thing. I'm very big on scripture about first things. It says Christ is the head of the church. And the man should be the head of the house as Christ is the head of the church. So he opens up a whole can of worms by not being in the standing that he needs to be in, in the Lord. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. All right, let's read on because there's so much well, more. I know, I, I got that one. Read it. Talks about uh, deacons. Let the wives be in subjection to their own husbands, so that even if some husbands are disobeying in the word, through the way of life of the wives, they will have been gained without a word, because they watch your pure way of life in reverent fear. Right. So, it takes patience, okay? It takes patience. Uh, Dan says all the time, it's a process. It is a process. It is a process. But I, I'm hesitant to say too much to women when the man is out of God's order. Okay? Uh, how, everybody give me, give me that, okay? It's hard. Because I've heard men over the years say, eh, my wife won't listen to me. Well, I wouldn't listen to you either. You're obnoxious, you know? Or whatever. I, I don't come into agreement with that spirit. But what I say is, is there's ways to do things. God has a system that works. Let's read on. I think, too, you have to go back before people are married because he said don't be unequally yoked. Yeah. And a lot of times... They you know, start out that way. We, we want what we want, and we think that we can change that person after you get married, and that's not the way that it works, you know? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, he has safeguards in place, and if we would follow him, you know, if we would follow his word, they're there for our own protection. But, you know, don't be a, yeah. blind and... How many of you know that you can cause yourself or save yourself a whole lot of yeah. problem if you marry somebody that believes like you? Yeah. <laughs> you do. You know, just, let me share this. I've married probably 100 couples over the years and I always counsel them. They always come to me for counseling and they say to me, what do we need to know? Well, I'm not an expert on that, but I tell them there's five problem areas that you're always going to have in every marriage and you better be prepared with it because they constantly cause arguments. And one of them is faith. What is your family going to believe? That's so important because the man can make that miserable on the wife. That's why you need agreement before that. Is this is how we're going to raise our kids. They're going to be in this kind of church. They're going to be in that kind of church. Because if you don't have agreement in that point, you've got a whole lot of issues in store. Okay? Second one is money. Everybody fights over money. That's why before you get married, you need to have some financial, not what you call those things where you get your money protected. I don't even know what it is. A prenuptial, yeah, most of us don't have enough to do that. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> if you, even if he insisted, you would not. I would not. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yes, sir. You have to look real close at what it does not say. Nowhere in here does it say husbands subject your wives. No, no it does not. Good point. That's where a lot of people get it wrong. Because the husband will say, I'm the head, and you have to submit. No, it's the wife's decision here. Yeah. Everything in the scripture makes it the wife's decision. You're right. There, he doesn't. Okay. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't say that. That's what it doesn't say. Yes. Just one little thing to wrap up the end of what I was saying. I'm, 
is, no, it's really short. Um, I have a dear friend, Phyllis, that I've known since I was 14 years old, and she took me aside in a way and said, I don't want you to be offended. I love you. But she said, you need to stop correcting up. Like it or not, be it whatever the grounds of the basis, that God, he is still the head, and Jesus is the head of him, and God the head of Christ. And if you have a problem, do not correct up your husband. Take it to the Lord well, privately. Do you agree with that? I'll tell you what I agree with as a man. Now, and I, you know, I got a wife. I got a good wife. But as a man, they never like to be corrected in public in front of other people. Never. That is... In general. Well, in general, it's not good to correct a woman in front of other people either. Do it in private. Huh? Do it in private and respect. Well, yeah, but our temper sometimes, because I got a temper. I'll admit I got a temper. But it's, it's death sometimes to correct someone, especially a man, in the presence of other people. And it's, it's doubly wrong if a woman corrects a man and her wife is standing, his wife is standing there. That really gets shaky. So that's one place we, I kind of agreed uh, that should be done in private. Conversations should be held in private. But so often uh, there's a deep offense, a deep wound that takes place there because the husband is corrected publicly. Come to him rattling on about what you don't like. If it's something and he puts well, no. his head and in place, even though he may not be where he's supposed to be with the Lord, he is still your husband. You're still I agree with that. But God is sitting right there wanting to help you work talk to you about this. One thing I can't tell a woman is when the string has run out. When she, when she no longer, when she no longer can take it anymore, okay? I, I think people reach that point. Now, who am I to judge that point, okay? Now, I know what the scripture says. That's why I said we just need to read it at face value. If we line up everything the way God wants it, then we don't ever have that problem. And that's why, remember, he's trying to teach young Christians not to drink in excess not to do this, not to do that. It's a teaching that's going on. In other words, he wasn't speaking to worldly people here. He was speaking to people in the church because this letter is written to the church at Ephesus. So he's trying to make a point. You know, why do you think they call it? I'll get to you in a minute, brother. Why do you think they call it B.C. and A.D.? Before Christ and Anno Domini. What's it mean? Before Christ and after Christ, right? I believe there's uh, divisions in our life, which does not disagree with the word, but there's divisions in our life from when we were not saved and when we are saved, because now we've become children of light. And a lot of us used to be involved in things that were just really dark. Okay, can I get an agreement on that one? But once you walk into the light, it's like going from before Christ to after Christ, now our works, the light shines on our works and, and we choose whether we continue to live in darkness or we live in the light. So a lot of people, how do I put this, got involved in marriages that weren't godly. And now I'm not an expert on this because I haven't been through it. Some of you have. It doesn't make you any less a Christian than anybody else in here. It's not about divorce. It's it's a. Uh, you know, before you walk in in, uh, in the light, you experience the darkness. There's some, I, I believe in the scripture, you're responsible for what you know. Okay? Remember the question that people are always asking, well, how about some guy off in the jungle over there that never heard the word of the Lord? I think you're responsible once you receive the engrafted word. I can't be responsible for something that has not been revealed to me. Okay? When you're a new Christian, you don't dive into this kind of stuff. And and what the church does sometimes is try to make people feel bad about their life before Christ. And that's not good. 
especially with new Christians. You, you know, you work with a new Christian like you, like the husband's supposed to work with the wife. Go ahead. I'm rambling now. Go ahead. Okay. Once marriage vows are taken, uh, it's the the idea is that the the marriage relationship should take importance over what each of the individuals right. feels, and therefore, uh, if if a man it loves his wife, he wants to know how she feels. Right. He wants to make her happy, and so it it, it shouldn't reach the point of needing criticism. You know, because it's like in a you know, multitude of counselors who say, like in the 14th chapter of Proverbs, in a marriage, that's even stronger. Safety is in a multitude of counselors and they're counseling each other. Yeah. That's how it should work. A wife does have her wisdom. And if a man doesn't recognize that, then he needs to be corrected. Yeah, he does. Uh, I've always said, uh, marry your best friend. She was my best friend before we got married. And I think it's very important that you're the spouse that you're going to live the rest of your life with or 20 years or whatever, that they at least be somebody you can talk to. If you can't talk to them before you marry them, it ain't going to get no better after you marry them. Because then they got ammunition they've been storing up for a while. Yes. I just, I find it kind of puzzling how like if we got a guy that came in here tonight and he took some drugs. Yeah. He acknowledged his sin and he repented. The church would give him a clean slate. Yep. I don't know why the church is so hard on people that had a divorce. Yeah, I agree. That if somebody who had a divorce walked in this building, repented, I had a divorce, I know it's not right. I repent. Case closed. Give me forgiveness. Case closed. But for some reason, there's there's this stigma that all of a sudden you've got to carry that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I don't think God has a problem with sin that is repented of. That's right. Because Amen. he said that I take your sin yep. and I put it in the sea of yep. forgiveness as far as the east is from the west. That's right. Never to bring it up again. It's blotted out. It's blotted out. And divorce is a sin that is no different than adultery, a thieving, or or any other kind of sin. But for some reason, we got our pet peeve sins in the church where we like to stick it on yep. people, and we yep. never let it go off. Yeah, and it's not right. I, uh, Jeremy, to me, that scripture is more. I agree with what you're saying. I don't think one sin is more important than the other sin. Amen. That's another thing that has been developed over Christendom in the years because of different cultural influences and things like that. I mean, it's like Paul saying to the the men, don't get married, or the Catholic Church saying, you can't be married as a priest. Well, now we're finding out the results of asking men to live in an unnatural state. Let's just be honest about it. Okay, yes, sir. All humans judge most harshly those things that are most easily measured. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why? Uh, I, 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 because I'm from Middle East. So, uh, why there's a difference uh, between the Western churches, uh, churches mean the people, Christian people, uh, big gap, uh, the, the divorce rate. In the Western uh, Christian among the Western among the Western Christians is so high, and why the uh, divorce rate is so low, uh, and you find a uh, 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 single marriage, and uh, they're dying together. I mean, the, the very good the family uh, bonded, even 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 the family thing, like mm-hmm. children, like uh, uh, <clears throat> they live together, close. Uh, uh, father, uh, parents, and their uh, children, their children in one house, so happy and living together. Uh, more uh, ma- family members coming, living together. Uh, yet you see in the Western countries so much high divorce rate and so much division. So much like, like uh, okay, as long as I am 16, I'm out. 
You know, I don't want to do anything with you parents. Why uh, not many young people in the churches in the Western countries? Yet, I challenge you, you uh, uh, search on Google. It's, it's anything is easy to find, uh, search on Google. In the uh, uh, Middle East, the churches, uh, so many young people, <coughs> so many young as equal as the old people uh, uh, together coming to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. why, why is that? It, it, it's uh, together. Divorce and family. Both thing is, I mean, it's, it's a, I don't know it's, if it is, the word is right or not to say shame. And, and why is that happening in the Western countries? Uh, uh, the difference that I see is, I am in total agreement with what Jeremy says about if someone walks in here with a drug habit, we bend over backwards to accept them. Okay. We don't, we give them grace after they're saved, okay? Why can't we do the same with somebody that's been through a divorce? Because I believe if that uh, first church I ever pastored, I had a guy who had a drinking problem. He showed up one Sunday for church at 930. He was drunker than a hoot owl. I mean, he said, I guess you're going to throw me out of here, ain't you, preacher? I said, no, I want you to come in and sit down and listen to what's going on. He got saved. <laughs> it was a great thing because we didn't push him away and judge him. We didn't let him disrupt things. But at the same time, uh, I think a lot of credence has to be put on what we were accountable for before we got saved. There's a lot of young people that get involved in things that they were never supposed to be involved in. But then they come to a uh, knowledge of Christ and they start putting their life back together. I've counseled people that have been in church for many, many years, and they come to me and say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. After they have known different, then I really try to discourage them from taking that because they know what's right and what's wrong. Okay. But at the same time, I don't judge them if they take that other route because every sin it's just like the, the wife waiting on the husband to get saved. You've got to give people time. Now, what is the, the right time? I think only the Holy Spirit can tell you when it's time to put the hammer down on somebody. I've been through that quite a bit of time, and it's painful when you see it happening. But that doesn't mean you were... Uh, Sunday, we taught on the woman, uh, the woman that was caught in adultery. She had five different husbands. What happened with her? Can anybody tell me? She got forgiveness, didn't she? She got forgiveness because she made an appeal to the one that can forgive sin. Am I correct there? She was caught in the act. Yes. I think, I think this is what God is showing me. He said, when you stand before me, you're entering into a covenant. Right. And I've got the one new man Bible, and I'm going to read you what it says about covenant. It says, covenant is a word we use today, but fail to grasp its full meaning. Many think of it as a promise, but a covenant is far more. It is a total commitment, an absolute requirement to do or not do something, even at the cost of one's life. Commitment in terms of life or death is difficult for us to comprehend, but a covenant is exactly that. So, Okay. I'm not taking away from the Gravity. seriousness yeah, yeah. of a covenant. Right. And that's probably one of the reasons why Western society has the rate that it has because, like, the Eastern people understand covenant, covenant. much stronger than the Western yeah. society. Yeah. Our family breakdown. See, I, I think. In, in Pakistan and in, in the Middle East, a child is surrounded by his family. The family has everything to do with the marriage between a man and a woman. They, they have the blessing of the parents. It's a huge family thing. They can't survive without the family. That's right. But over here, yeah. you can go to Vegas and get married for 50 bucks in an Elvis chapel... And you don't have to have anybody's permission. Nope. 
It's so easy yeah. to do it here. Kids elope all the time. There's not the fear, the holy fear, for a mom and dad's respect and opinion of how they feel about the person they're going to marry. You know, if you try to tell, you know, your, your kid, you're not marrying them. Well, yes, I am, and you can't stop me. Well, you can't say that in the Middle East. No. Yeah, that's right. yeah. You're going to be out in the desert somewhere <laughs> or starving. You know, the consequences of disobeying your mom and dad right. are much yeah. more serious in the Middle East that's than right. it is here in Western America. Do they still arrange marriages? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I told my kids yeah. here, my, my, my boys, I said, yeah. uh, okay, we are not going to have a, a, a boyfriend girlfriend thing. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to date alone. You're not going to do this and that. If you do, <laughs> you say, I'm in, in America, I can do anything. That is your way, and this is my way. Yeah. You know? Now, I, I understand the man of God was saying, if anybody is drunk, we let him come in. Yeah. But we don't have that rule there. We are very strict. Okay, please. Because I tell you, tolerate one person. Then, okay, other people saying, okay, I'm... It's okay to be, uh, get drunk and get into church, okay? It's okay to, uh, to uh, cuss the pastor. It's okay because, okay, oh, they, well, they're going to say, oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. You know no. what I mean? Uh, it's okay to, uh, to uh, get divorced because the man of God said uh, uh, that woman is uh, had uh, five uh, husbands, so she got forgiven. Yeah, she did. She, no, she did. Yeah, I, I but understand. the change the change was, yeah. what did he tell her? No, sir. I, I no, no, here, here's the deal. I'm, we're in agreement. We're saying the same thing just from a different angle. Agreement are two different things. Yeah. But people make it habit then. People make, make it, take it like, a, okay, it, it is a permanent. No, well, here's the deal, okay. Paulus. Here's the thing. What did he tell her after everything? He said, where are your accusers? And she said, well, I guess they've gone on. I have no accusers. And he said, neither do I. Can... He... But then what did he say? Go and sin no more. That is the, that is the dividing line for me. When we... Yes. Okay. There's a time to know better and a time where you don't know nothing. Well, yeah, I understand that, and and sometimes that can be a real backfire. But uh, I think I think you take it as a. As, and the, uh, the whole church has agreed to that. The whole church say no. Well, here's the. In that case, that man got saved. Uh, I think you got got to take it on an individual basis. If somebody and the Holy Spirit prompts you, I remember uh, one fella. Uh, was in the hospital when I first met him. I didn't know him from the man in the moon, but God told me <clears throat> he was sick and his wife asked me to go see him and he wasn't living for the Lord. And the minute I walked in that room, God said, he's a man worth investing in. And so I did. And he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And So I'm, I agree with you. Normally, you don't let a bunch of drunks come into the sanctuary and start hopping up and down. But... Then you got a book of Acts things where they think everybody's drunk anyhow. So uh, I, got, I got to close it up. Pastor, for the tape, can you finish those three, the last three points about the five areas of marriage? Okay. First thing, in every marriage, I don't care whether it's your first marriage, second marriage, money, don't ever argue over money. It's death. Faith, decide where you're going to raise your kids and what faith you're going to raise them in. Okay? Third point, family. You need family, but you're, uh, I didn't marry Darlene's mother, who's a wonderful lady. Family sometimes will be your worst enemy in a marriage. You've got to set boundaries with family. Of course, sex. A lot of things go pear-shaped in that area. Okay? Um, what was the fifth one? I got money. Say, huh? Children. This comes to blended families. What I've seen happen over and over and over is when you have a blended family, that's when you really need to establish authority in the house. 
Because I've heard so many kids say, he's not my dad. (coughs) That's not right. Physically, he's not your dad. But the house is going to be split wide open all the time if there's no line of authority in the house. So you have to. And another thing I tell people, don't use your kids from a blended marriage as weapons against each other. Well, I see that all the time. You know, the, kid, the kids will always find the path of least resistance. That's what kids do. Yeah. Yes, Paul. Now, another thing really strong. Uh, in, 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 in America, I have seen, it was shocking for me. Uh, I've never seen a single in my lifetime, in 22 years, amongst the Christians, I've never seen a single woman have the children without marriage in Pakistan. Single woman. Really? No, never. Yeah. You go search, you go ask any uh, uh, Pakistani uh, if anybody has connections. Well, that's cultural. Yeah, it's okay. cultural. Now, why do we have that here? Well, because, see, because I, 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 can't, I can't take, see, Paulus, I can't take responsibility for that. I'm trying to work out of the scripture here. Uh, a lot of it is cultural. The Greeks had a way of doing things. The Romans do. Everybody in the Middle East. Why do the Jews not believe in Jesus? I can't fix that. But what what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of cultural things that play into it. And they they don't undermine the word. See, as a pastor and you as an evangelist, we have to deal with the situation that's presented to us when it's presented to us. And that's the importance of the Holy Ghost. Because if you don't lean on the Holy Ghost, you can say something to somebody that was just not the right way to say it, especially if you got a temper like I got a temper, because I can go off sometime. And so I need the protection of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not saying what we're doing is right, but in, on the other hand, 95% of benevolence in the world comes from the, the churches in the United States. I mean, this is, this is not a... A very big sin, yet it is a very, very big sin. Oh, I know, I know. Listen, I, mean, I deal with it all the time. I mean, people uh, live uh, uh, without marriage and come to church. Yeah. And the pastor is not saying, yeah. hey, you know, you guys, this is uh, wrong. Well, that's why I give these points of warning to people that come to me and ask me to marry them. Because they will come into agreement with me that they almost had a problem in every one of those areas. When I try to counsel them, they had a problem with money or faith or putting together a blended family and nobody's in charge of the house. They haven't decided, uh, uh, you know, they use their kids as weapons. Everything's rosy until, uh, well, he's not my dad. She's not my mom, blah, blah, blah. If you've been through that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a terrible thing. My job is to deal with what the word says and when what says, it, okay? In many ways, people in the Middle East have better customs than we do here in the States. But some of them aren't Christians. I mean, Muslims have very strict customs, which are cultural things. But the way they treat women, we don't agree with at all. So it, it's, it's all culture. And it's actually, there's an old saying in Kentucky, it's six of one, half a dozen of another. We'll pick this up next. Uh, we, believe me, we'll pick it up again. It's going to take some... Let's do something real quick here. All right. Let's all start from scratch right now. Okay. Starting from scratch is when you don't buy a store-bought macaroni and cheese. You make it, you know, like a pumpkin pie. And I realize many people in this room might disagree on some things that were said. Okay. And there are some people in this room that don't see eye to eye on these matters. But... What I like to do, that's why you have an altar call, is you you put things right before you leave, okay? So what I want to do is say, let's start. If there's anybody in this room tonight that this has affected them or they don't agree or they feel... My thing is, what comes next? That's the important thing. What do we do next? So let's just pray right now. And then everybody goes out of the room equal because I can't begin to know what some of you have been through. You know... I don't have all the answers, and I can't tell you what you've been through. Only you can tell you what you've been through. But that's why. Yeah. But the thing is, we can all start on the same playing field by asking God 
to forgive us in whatever way we've messed up. And that's what we're going to do right now, okay? And everybody in this room is on equal footing. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we know we want to live by your word. And Lord, sometimes we might err, we might get off the path, but Lord, you know we love you. And Lord, we know that there's forgiveness available, and we turn to you as our Savior, as you are the Savior of the church, and the man is supposed to be the Savior of the family. Lord, we just place ourselves under your kingship, under your lordship. We ask that you forgive us of any sin, any bad attitude, anything connected with us, Lord. And it's not important. We can't change five seconds of the past, but we can change 50 years of the future by leaning on you. So, Lord, we just speak forgiveness over all of us, over myself, too. And we just start from this room tonight. We don't have to understand everything. We just got to understand some things. And we just give you the praise and glory that we can come together as Christians and ask for your forgiveness and your guidance as we go ahead in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all.